You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good to be with you here at East Point Church at our 10 a.m. gathering. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark. We are going to be uh, in chapter 1. We are on page 836 if you're using the blue and white ones that we provide. But good to be with you. As you turn there, as you turn to Mark chapter 1, I want you to imagine that the alarm clock is going off at 6.45 in the morning, Jerusalem Standard Time. There's a lot to do if you're going to make it to see John the Baptist at the river today. You have to feed the animals, get the kids dressed, pack the peanut butter and hummus sandwiches, and even put water in the camels. There's a lot to do, but you have a sense this morning that today's gathering at the river is going to be a day to remember. And so you get on the camels and traffic out to the country is bad this morning, as it's been ever since John began these riverside gatherings. And so as you wait in traffic, you're sitting there on your camel replaying yesterday's sermon over and over in your head. And it was particularly good. It was moving. You remember the tears in John's eyes as he called you to pivot, to turn from your sin and to confess them to God. And you don't get it. No one ever talks to you like that. I mean, you're a decent Jew. You go to synagogue every week. You do what you're supposed to. Sure, you have some struggles that you'd rather nobody else knew about, but who doesn't? And yet when John talked about your sin, you couldn't help but listen. The typical defensiveness that you feel was gone. That desire to explain yourself or to minimize your failures, it was strangely absent. His description of God's forgiveness, his talk about God coming any moment, it was so hopeful. It was as if faith welled up in your soul as you walked forward at the end of his message, praying under your breath, getting in line to get baptized. You were coming clean to God. And that feeling, oh, that feeling when you came out of the water, knowing that God had seen all of your darkest sins, and yet he still loved you. It was indescribable. You went home with such a strong commitment to obey God, with such a strong conviction to live consistently with this posture of repentance, to live every day of the rest of your life awaiting his arrival. And so traffic starts to move again. And little do you know as you head to the river that day that that day was coming sooner than later. What was about to happen at the river today, friends, it's not only going to change your life. What you're going to experience at this gathering today is going to change the course of human history. Because today, with John down at the river, you are going to experience firsthand the arrival of God himself. Are you ready? Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is God's word for us. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is God's word for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray the Lord that as we open up your word, that you would open up our eyes. Open up our minds and open our hearts to see beautiful things from your word. Help us to see Jesus. And I pray that you would change us. That the time that we are investing in your word, Lord, the way that we are applying ourselves to the pursuit of truth, change us, Lord. Send us out of here differently than how we came in. We pray this in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. All right, so here's how we're going to do it. This is what we do every week at East Point. We're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to ask ourselves two questions. What does it say? And so what? I encourage you, right? Like any time you sit there and somebody stands in a pulpit, you should be asking the question, so what? Good talk, good thoughts, you're smart. So what? And so I challenge you, I dare you, ask that question every week, wherever you are. So what? Because the so what, the answer is so relevant and the application is so life-changing. This matters and the implications that we're going to see from our passage today make a difference in your life. And so let's go back to the beginning and say, what is it saying? And so what? All right. So back to the beginning. Look what it says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Two things we're going to see in our passage this morning. And the first one is this. God arrives in the person of the son. We've been waiting for it, right? And here it is. God arrives in the person of the son. Last week, we met John the Baptist. And he was leading this movement of repentance, His job as the messenger was to roll out the red carpet for God. He was priming the pump. He was getting people ready by putting them in a posture of repentance. Because when God showed up, he was bringing forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so John is calling people to experience that forgiveness by coming clean to the one who wants to make them clean. And so hundreds of people, hundreds of people are going out and are partaking in these meetings. They're listening to the sermons, and then they're getting baptized in the river. And so the text begins here. It says, in those days, in the middle of that movement, during this fever pitch, and while the anticipation is at an all-time high, in those days, there's this dude. And this dude, he gets up after the sermon, he stands in line, he's waiting to get baptized, he steps into the water, and this Jesus guy gets dunked. And as he's coming out of the water, something amazing happens. As he's coming out of the water, Mark tells us that the heavens were torn open. Oh, really? What? It's like... What, what, what funny language? The heavens were torn open. You're like, yeah, here in Maryland, we see that. Yeah, it's tsunami weather, crazy hurricane. No, this is not a weather alert, okay? 
the heavens are torn open is a Bible alert. Okay, and we read the Bible in context. We have to read it as one big story. And so when we hear such a funny phrase, we have to ask ourselves, what is he talking about? Well, if you remember, we went to the book of Isaiah last week, remember? Remember Isaiah told us, God is coming. So let's go back to Isaiah and let's see if we pick up on that language. Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So Isaiah is saying, hey, God is coming, and when he does, he's not taking the elevator down. God is coming, but his arrival will not be through his private jet. God is going to come, and when he does, he is going to rend the heavens, and that's how he's going to come to earth. And so when Mark uses this language, he says, the heavens are torn. This is the signal of God's arrival. He's tearing the heavens, he is splitting the sky, and he is coming down. And so as God comes down, we see some amazing things happen. The sky is torn open, we know he's coming, and poor Jesus, right? This guy just wants to get baptized. This random dude, he's having a moment here, and yet the whole thing is interrupted, right? And maybe his family's there trying to take pictures of his baptism, and it's interrupted, and they go, Jesus, I'm sorry, but right now there's bigger things than you. And their eyes look up, and the heavens are torn open, and look what happens. It says, the Spirit descended. God's Spirit in bodily form starts to come down like a dove, and it comes to rest on this Jesus dude. The second thing that happens, they then hear they hear a voice, an audible, booming voice from heaven, and he, and he directs the voice to the dude in the water. And it says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Have you been baptized before? Was it anything like that? What is happening here? What is going on? He's getting baptized. The heavens are torn. This is a signaling God's arrival, and we see his spirit. We hear the Son. So again, I I like to read the Bible in context. I like to pay attention to the big themes of Scripture. And so here's what I see. When I read this, when I'm listening to this, it sounds an awful lot to me like the kings of the Old Testament. It sounds an awful lot like how kings were selected and crowned in the Old Testament. And so I know we don't have kings in our country, but guys, come on. How many of you can dig your annual Lord of the Rings movie night, right? And I want you, I know we're not talking about Lord of the Rings, but I want you to go there with me. I want you to come back to a land of kings, to a world of monarchs. This is the world that the Bible is written in. And so let's go back to the biblical kings, who was perhaps one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament? David. And so we see in the Old Testament, whenever God was choosing a king, he would do two things. Whenever God was choosing a king, he would do two things, okay? The first thing he would do is he would bestow on him his spirit. And so we see these kings, they were anointed with oil as a symbolic picture that God was anointing, that God was pouring out his spirit, empowering this king to do his work. And so it's as if if God was saying, you're going to rule, not in your own power, but through the power that I give you. And he puts his spirit on them. Let's look at David. What did it say? 1 Samuel 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Was it magic oil? 
Were these essential oils? Was this like, you know, this is an aroma that's going to help him lead well? No, it's a symbol. It's just a picture of what God is doing. God is going to pour out his spirit, and we see it. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So whenever God is choosing a king, he puts his spirit on him. And then number two, he calls him his son. God looks at this king and he says, you will be my representative ruler. And me and you will have this familiar, intimate relationship like a father with his son. And I will establish my kingdom through you, my son. I'm going to perpetuate my kingdom ethos and my kingdom ethic and influence through your rule and through your reign. You are my chosen king. You are my son. And so again, let's go back to David. Well, look at what we see here, Psalm 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He calls his king his son. Look how he, what he says about the king to come after David. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so again, any time that God is choosing a king, we see two things, his spirit and his son. So let's go back to the water here, friends. What do we see in the water? We realize that a king is being crowned. Here in the water, it's not just a regular baptism. We have a coronation ceremony going on. This is not just a dude in line. God is identifying and he is crowning this Jesus guy saying, this is my king who will rule empowered by my spirit and reign as my son. Do you see it? There is a king being crowned. That's who Jesus is. And so everyone is, oh, excuse me, Jesus. I'm sorry. I thought the... I get it now. The king has arrived. The king has arrived. But we can't miss the point. Because he's not an ordinary king. Remember, the timing of this coronation is when? It's in those days. This king arrives as they are waiting for and anticipating God himself. This king arrives as the messenger is saying, hey, any minute now he's coming. This king arrives as they rolled out the red carpet, and this king himself walks down the red carpet that was meant for God himself. And we realize, friends, it's because this king is divine. This is God in flesh. He's not just a king. He is the king to which all other little imperfect kings were but a shadow this is the Son of God who would rule and reign, leading and establishing God's kingdom perfectly because he was God. See, the kings of old, they were given authority as his representative rulers on earth. This king has authority in heaven and on earth because by him and for him they were made. This is the divine king and so we said last week that as we journey through the book of Mark, we're trying to answer this question. Who is Jesus? It's a 16-chapter-long journey to identify this man. Who is Jesus? And here we are, not even out of chapter 1, and the Father from heaven has already given us the biggest spoiler of the whole book. He says, this is the divine Son of God. This is the King of God's kingdom. He is the divine king who will rule and reign forever in heaven and on earth because he is the son. 
He is the king. The king of heaven has come to earth. The king is here, friends. And this is good news. Think about it. God has chosen to come as a king, not simply just to take us to heaven, right? It's like the gospel is so often portrayed as, well, you know, God came, he wants to kind of get you a little bit better, and then he's going to take you away to heaven. The fact that God has come as a king, it tells us that he is here to establish an alternative reality. You see, Facebook thinks that they have it right, right? You guys have heard of the metaverse yet? There are people right now going to church in the metaverse. Do you know that? Oh, you guys don't know. All right, so there's this program. They're literally creating a virtual reality that will span the globe. And so you can plug in and you can go to church in virtual reality. You can buy a $60 shirt from H&M that you will never wear, but your emoji will be on point as you wear it to church in the metaverse. Oh, no, you guys don't know about this. You know that you can put on goggles and you can go get some Chick-fil-A and have a virtual picnic with friends that don't really aren't there, but they're on their goggles set across the world, and now we can exist in this alternate reality. I can tell by your faces that this is upsetting some of you. Y'all need to watch the news. You see, the metaverse, what that tells me is that people are so fed up with this reality People are so sick and tired of this existence that they are looking for an escape to an alternative reality. (laughs) They're hanging out in parks that don't exist, wearing clothes that don't exist, with friends that don't exist, eating food that doesn't exist, going even to churches that don't exist because they're so hungry for a new reality. Friends, here's the good news. God has come not just to whisk us away to heaven. He's come to establish an alternative reality. He has come to the broken world system and he says, I'm going to create a new economy, a new administration, a new community. I am establishing a kingdom. And so if you're here this morning and you are tired of a corrupted world with crooked leaders, if you're tired of the pain of broken relationships and mourning, if you've had your fill of injustice and war, If you long for a world where things that are wrong are no longer called right, good news. He's building a kingdom. He's establishing a new order that is free from the sin that destroys our world. He's establishing a new system that is marked by a culture of justice and peace and grace and mercy and harmony and joy and gladness, selflessness, restoration, dignity, righteousness, comfort, compassion, and wholeness. It's a kingdom where he is our God and we are his people and we are living the way that he designed humanity to be. If there's anything inside of you that longs for that kind of community, good news. The king is here. Good news. The voice from heaven has just affirmed the arrival of the king. He has taken office. He has been given the throne and now he is setting the plan into motion. And friends, that kingdom will exist because the one who is responsible for making it happen is here. The king of heaven has come to earth. He's here. Sorry, Facebook, it was a good idea, but I want something more real. 
I want a kingdom that actually exists, not virtual reality, an alternative reality, a different way of doing life, a different mode of existence, a different community of people, a different culture. And the king has come, and he has just been crowned in the river, and he is about to take office. So here we have the divine king taking office, and I promise you that you are going to be shocked by what happens next. The first thing he does as he takes office, I guarantee you nobody in this room, nobody in this world could have anticipated the first thing that he does. And we see it here in the second half of our passage, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. You see, friends, the reign of this king, it doesn't begin the way that we'd expect. He's affirmed by the Father. He's anointed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go change the world. Come on, let's go build a kingdom. Let's ascend the throne to which you, O king, will sit on and rule and reign forever. Let's go start a movement. Let's go take over. Let's stick it to the man and let's get it. Nope. That would have been my plan. That's not, maybe that's why I'm not one of the disciples, right? The original disciples. That's, that would have been my plan. But no, we're going to see this quite a bit in the book of Mark. That the path to the throne is not the path that you would expect to see. And we see here that this king, the first thing he does, the son of God is compelled by the spirit of God into the wilderness. And so Jesus obeys the father. He goes out where he's going to experience the inhospitable elements. He goes to the place of chaos and wild animals. He goes to a place where there's hunger and there's pain and there's lack. And all of those things that he's experiencing are exasperated by the temptation of the enemy of his soul, Satan, for 40 days. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Why is the first place that this divine king goes, why is it into the wilderness? And that's because our second point today, friends, the heavenly king is having the full human experience. This heavenly king has come to have a fully and completely human experience. You see, because this divine king, not only is he fully God, he's also fully man. Not only is he completely divine, he is also completely human. He has come to live a completely human experiences. And so he's experiencing the same struggle. Tasting the same pains, journeying through the same paths that you and I all walk as humans. And as we all know, often this path of humanity leads us through a wilderness. Have you ever been in the wilderness? Have you ever been to that point of pain? And, and maybe you know it's not true in your head, but you can't help but feel like, dude, no one knows what this is like. Right? You have that thought. No one gets it, what I'm going through. No one can taste my pain, my brokenness, my struggle. And yet this morning we see a divine king who is walking through a wilderness and we realize there's at least one who gets it. 
there's at least one who, who can empathize with you. There's at least one who understands what that pain is like, who can perfectly empathize with us. You're in good company. And here's what I find so interesting. Not only does it say he's in a wilderness, it says it here, the Spirit immediately drove him there. What? Come on. God, you did this? It doesn't say one thing led to another and he found himself in the wilderness. It doesn't say life's circumstances led him into a difficult situation. It doesn't say Jesus' life decisions resulted in the consequences of his actions. No, no, no. This was the intentional leading and direction of God's spirit. God's son is being led by God's spirit into the wilderness. This is not the typical call that's associated with Christianity, is it? I want you in this room to come, come to God. He will give you his spirit, and then you're going to live your best life ever. Woo! Free of pain, flush with cash, and if you have enough faith, you can even wish away the wilderness. Who wants to sign up for that faith, right? We smile and laugh, and really, it's, it's more sad than that, isn't it? Because there actually are hundreds of thousands of people who are probably right now in a congregation hearing that exact message. Come to Jesus and it'll all be washed away. Just no pain, no gain. And man, if you, if you really play your cards right and if you have enough faith, if you just believe harder, you'll never step foot in a wilderness again. And did you hear about such and such? She had a wilderness experience. I know, but that doesn't match up with our theology. Maybe she's in sin. Maybe he doesn't have enough faith. Maybe if they believed more, they could have avoided the wilderness like us. Or maybe you're in the wilderness because you're a follower of Jesus and you're walking the same path that he walked and his path led him through the wilderness. The path that Jesus walked as he perfectly followed the Father, it took him through the wilderness. And so we who follow Jesus we who are walking in his footsteps on the same path that he walked, we realize that sometimes, friends, the Spirit does direct our steps into the wilderness. Why? Why does it have to be that way? God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were all-powerful. God, I thought you could have prevented anything you want. Why are you, not only are you allowing the wilderness, why are you leading me into it? And I know I have a microphone, and I know I'm supposed to have all the answers, and I'm supposed to have all the wise sayings. The only thing that I can tell you is what I see in the scriptures. And so I'll tell you what I see. I've realized that the wilderness is God's classroom. That's the only answer I can see in the scriptures. He leads us into the wilderness because the wilderness is God's classroom. He leads us there, friends, to do a work in us. Because it's in the wilderness where we're stripped of provision. We're stripped of comfort. All of the familiarity is gone. And in those moments, our self-reliance, our self-sufficiency begins to fade. And we come to a point where we fully and honestly, truly rely on our Father in heaven. See, in the wilderness, we meet God. In the wilderness, we come to know God. In the wilderness, we're prepared to serve God. And so are you in a wilderness this morning? 
I want to encourage you that your wilderness is not purposeless. Your wilderness is not without reason. He is at work in you in the wilderness. And just like gold that is refined by fire, you are going to come out of the other side better. More like Jesus. Different. And so keep the faith, friends. He knows what he's doing. Are you in a wilderness this morning? I want you to be comforted because, number one, you're in good company. You are in good company. Jesus walked the same path. This is par for the course. Be comforted. And then also be comforted by noticing what happens to him in the wilderness. Did you see it? What happens to him as he's experiencing the difficulty? The angels were ministering to him. The angels were attending to Jesus. And we realize that heaven itself is mindful of his struggle. Heaven itself is present in in comforting and attending to Jesus in the wilderness. He was not alone. We realize that angels attend to those who are traveling the road marked suffering. They did it for Jesus. And so surely they will do it for all who walk on the same path in his footsteps. All who travel this way will experience the comfort and assistance of heaven itself. He was not alone. You are not alone. And so here we have it. Here's the divine king, friends. The arrival of God himself, the king of heaven, has come to earth. And I want to end there. Pause the story, all right? Let's pause it here. I want us to end with the strange and startling picture of the divine king of heaven, and I want us to leave him in a wilderness for the next seven days. I want us to leave him in the wilderness because this divine king is having a fully human experience. He's born. He grows up. He goes through puberty He's getting baptized here, declaring his commitment to follow the Father. As a human, he's experiencing the wilderness. As a human, he's facing temptation. He's depending on the ministrations and comfort of heaven in hard times, like a human. Do you get it? This divine yet human king, he is a heavenly human. He is a down-to-earth deity. And I want us to end it here, friends, because the humanity of Jesus is tremendously good news for you and for me. You see, he came to live the completely human experience, and he would go on to do it perfectly. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would perfectly obey the Father in every respect. He's the only human who will go on and make it to the end of his life and be able to say, nailed it. He's the only human who lived a perfectly righteous life. I mean, let's go back to the beginning. Remember Adam? How did that work out, Adam? Train wreck. And we all said, thanks, Adam. You know what I mean? Like the first Adam was a train wreck. Here's the new Adam. Adam 2.0. What about Israel? Well, Israel will be my people, and they'll live a perfect life, and they will obey me, right? How'd that work? Talk about 40 days. How about 40 years in the wilderness? 
well, my king, my king will be my son and the king will be perfect and he'll obey me and he'll perfectly create a kingdom of justice. And ask Bathsheba how it went. Are you getting it, friends? Every human being that came before and after Jesus would stumble and yet Jesus was the perfect human. And where every other human failed, he flourished. Where every one of us stumbles, he stood. While others are defeated by temptation, he perfectly depended on the Father. He was completely human and he crushed it. And he gets to the end of his life and he gets the status of perfection. He got 100%. He gets the status of perfection. He gets the reward of perfect obedience. He gets to be God's child. And he takes his rewards. He takes his status. He takes the very fact of righteousness that he earned for himself. And he comes and he gives it away to people like you and me who acknowledge, yep, I could have never earned that status for myself. And we come, right? And that's what church is about, right? Like we're here not to go behave, be better, be good, right? The killer bees, be more. And it's like, no. We're here because you're not more. We're here because you're not good enough. We're here because we don't have it together and we're really good at faking it. But God came as a king, as a fully human king, and he earned that righteousness. And at the end of his life, he laid it down so that people like you and me could wear it. And then he took our sinful clothes of shame, the punishment that we deserve, he put it on himself, the great exchange. And he clothes us in his righteousness. He makes us righteous. He washes us clean. And so here's what we always hear, right? And you've heard this if you've been in church for more than 30 seconds. Jesus died for my sins. Amen. That's true. But it's incomplete. Jesus died for my sins. But he also lived for my righteousness. He died for my sins, but he also lived a perfect life for 33 years. And he accumulated to his credit righteousness. He accumulated to his credit as a perfect human, perfection. And then he puts it on you and me so that way when God sees us, when God interacts with us, he's not interacting with us based on who we are. He treats us the way that Jesus deserves. He calls us beloved. With you, I am well pleased. He treats us as sons and as daughters who can be in his family. And so to my fellow fickle and faulty humans, good news, the king of heaven has come to earth. And he lived a completely perfect human life to save completely imperfect people like you and me. That's the gospel. And that's why we're going to leave him in the desert for a week so that we can remember for the next seven days he was perfectly human because he came to save humans. Do you want to be dressed and draped in the righteousness of Jesus? <laughs> right? No, I think I'm good enough on my own. Let me see if my own scores can pass and then if I need a few extra points. <laughs> like, give me his righteousness. I'm not good enough. It's free. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is dare to believe that he is who he said he is. All we have to do is dare to believe that he really will greet us with forgiveness and grace and mercy. And we come in humble confession and say, Jesus, save me. Give me your righteousness because I don't have enough. 
and we take him at his word and we say, I believe that the king of heaven has come to earth to save me. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are so full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and you as a perfect human, you saved imperfect people. Thank you for Jesus, Lord, for his example of obedience. But Lord, even on our own power, we can't obey that example. And so thank you for the gift of righteousness. Thank you for the gift that we are your children. You treat us as if we were perfect because we're in Christ. And so Lord, continue to create us. Make us clean, recreate us every day, Lord, into the image of Jesus. May we live out the status of righteousness that you have already gifted to us. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. Continue to save us in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.